Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, the Ruth Space Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. And this is going to be another departure episode. I'm going to talk about something that doesn't sound like it's talking about the Cubs, but to an extent it kind of is. There's a lot of talk about what decisions the Cubs should be making in 2021 for 2022. A lot of the people making these discussions when the talk of what is Jed Hoyer's magic number from Tom Ricketts going to be in 2022 that is not being discussed, where, where to me that's the most important question. Um, is Tom Ricketts going to allow Jed Hoyer to spend $150 million? Will it be more like $130? Will it be more like $115? Will it be more like $190 million? What will the number be? Why will it be that number? Why is it self-evident that that will be the number? Will it matter if Cubs fans are attending with over 25,000 games in September that don't matter? All these kind of things all kind of sort of play into the future. But what I'm going to talk about today for the future of the Chicago Cubs is I'm going to leave the sport. I'm going to leave the continent. I'm going to leave the hemisphere. My second favorite team is the Geelong Cats. They are in the Australian Football League. And the Australian Football League is a... There's 18, 22... I think there's 22 teams in it now. 22 teams in it now. Top eight make the postseason, and Geelong has been on a fantastic run the last 15 or so years. And last year, they made it to the grand final, the game, the, the championship game, the World Series, the Super Bowl, the Stanley Cup, whatever. Um, and in early in the third quarter, third period, third stanza, um... They were ahead, and then the Richmond Tigers um, ran, had an incredible run down the stretch and turned the tables, and Richmond won another um, Australian Football League title. They've been doing particularly well. I think they've won like three of the last four, something like that. Wow, that, that's what I call a dynasty. A dynasty is not win one uh, World Series and then do fairly well the next year and start to scuffle thereafter. Um, so what is it that Geelong has done over the past umpteen years to get to the point where in the Australian Football League, whether someone likes Geelong or not, or dislikes Geelong or not, it's really difficult to argue that they've been effective, that they've been successful for the past, again, 15 or so years. What are some lessons that can possibly be learned from an entirely different sport that the Cubs 
should be following. For so many people, it is the Cubs should extend. And then what they do is they they, they stop. They put parenthetically, they're going to put either they should extend Chris Bryant or they should extend Javier Baez or they should extend Anthony Rizzo or they should extend Wilson Contreras. And it's some level of one of the four to all of the four. And, okay, well, what what sort of contract with anything, anything? Well, some of the people who are saying the Cubs should extend any of the four are also the same who are saying, can you imagine, can, can you even fathom that Jason Hayward contract? A baseball extension contract is guaranteed. A baseball extension contract is guaranteed. Now, I'm not going to speak dismissively of Baez, Bryant, Rizzo, or Contreras. I don't usually speak dismissively of any of the Cubs. But as of this winter, Jed Hoyer is going to be given a number. And he's not going to be able to go over it. Jason Hayward's going to be $22 million in that. Kyle Hendricks is going to be another 12 of that, something like that. Wilson Contreras is going to get paid. And there's going to be a number. There's going to be a number. And plenty of people, oh, Tom Ricketts ought to be benevolent. He ought to spend $180 million. He ought to spend $274 million because he has to keep the foot. No, actually, he doesn't have to. What he's going to do is give Jed Hoyer a number. This is the number you have to stay under. You can do whatever the heck you want to do as far as the roster. But this is the number you have to stay under and you can't go over it. Oh, but he shouldn't do that. He should well, he's going to do that. That is exactly what owners do. It's what the owner does at the local hardware store you attend. It's what the owner does at the hospital that you visit. It's what people do at schools. Here is the budget. Here is how many people you can have. Now, what can possibly be learned from a team that has been successful in a different sport? Yes, it's different. They have 50 players that they can have on their in their organization. 50 players total. There aren't seven levels of minor leagues. Let's see, there's not four, five. There's not six levels of minor leagues. There used to be seven. There's not six levels of minor leagues in the Australian Football League. There's the parent club, and then there's one other team, one other satellite team that uh, the teams use for developing talent. There are 50 players. So, as I look at the current Geelong season, what are some things that can possibly be learned, possibly be transferred from Australian football to the Cubs. I'm going to talk about this year for Geelong 
All you have to remember as a walk-up is they've been very successful the last 15 years, and they made the finals the last season. Came in second place in the league last season. So they've been good. They've been good recently. What has this year specifically been like, and what are some things that could possibly be learned from that? The finances are different in Australian football. Players do not make nearly as much as they do in Major League Baseball. There are limits on how much teams can spend. Sometimes some teams, one of them, uh, Collingwood, who has been, uh, they are basically the New York Yankees of the Australian Football League and that everyone hates them or loves them. You know, if you're following the, if you follow the AFL, that you're not, eh, I'm okay with Collingwood. It's not like the the Royals or the Giants or, you know, they're, they're okay, they're fine. But I don't really have feelings on them one way or the other. If you, I'm not a Collingwood fan, but there are people who are Collingwood fans and they follow Collingwood. Uh, Collingwood has recently gotten into some financial difficulties because they had quite a few players who were getting paid quite a bit of money up against the ownership spending limits, and they had to make some trades that they didn't necessarily want to have to do. Kind of sound familiar? Maybe just a little bit. But this isn't about Collingwood. This is about Geelong's season. Geelong started off their first game of the year. They were playing against a team that they were supposed to wallop in the mouth and they got walloped in the mouth. They played an absolutely horrible game in the first game of the season, got smashed, got embarrassed. The next two, next four weeks, they had righted themselves a bit and were on the cusp of making the top eight, which would qualify them for the playoffs at the end of the season. Um, but through five games, they had qualified back in. Uh, a little bit, they started to figure things out around about week six. And somewhere around, I don't know, week 10, they had a stretch where they played five successive really good teams. And they won all five of them. Now, one thing that's been happening with Geelong pretty much all season. They've had players, the veteran players, the regular players, the players who you expect to be doing well, in and out of the lineup. Some of them have gotten injured. There were a couple of players who were suspended a game or two by the league for rough conduct in games. Some of the players who have been historically really good have been a little bit well, I was expecting this guy to do better than that. What they've done fantastically well is plugged in players. You play 22 guys. There's a 22-man roster for, the, for every game. Then you have a 23rd guy who is the injury substitute. So you have your 22 guys... You talk about the top 22. Is this guy in the top 22? Should this guy be in the top 22? Ooh, this team has 14 guys who are really good, but they have a couple of guys at the end of their roster 
who really probably don't belong in the league. You're all familiar with teams like that, who they have some really good players, but they don't have enough of them. And in the Australian Football League, you have 18 guys running around the entire game, so you'd probably better have 23, 24, 25, 26 guys that are good. So what's ended up happening since Geelong has had so many players miss a game here or there or miss four or five weeks or whatever, they've had to rely rather heavily upon the 25 to 32 guys on their roster. So they've had to plug in other guys who, well, I don't know how this guy is going to work out, but we're going to play him instead, you know, regardless. There's really nothing else we can do. This guy's going to play today, and he's probably going to play next week. Those players have developed famously well. Not all of them, but they've filled in. They've chipped in. Geelong has a bit of a pattern that they like to follow. And the players who they plug in offensively know what they're supposed to do. Defensively know what they're supposed to do. If you have a system that works, if you have enough players in the pipeline who are usable at the top level, that is generally a good thing long term. Now, does it help to have three or four or five superstars? Oh yes, that is absolutely a good thing if you can pull it off. The reality is in Australian football, if you have the better 22 players on a specific day, not a Wikipedia page, not anything like that. There have been times Geelong has come in this year and not been good. But they had this guy in there and this other guy, yeah, but they didn't play very well as a team. They've had a number of games that have gone right down to the wire and they've probably been like 4-2 and two in those games. Games that have been decided in the, you know, close games that have been decided in the last 20, 30 seconds. They've done very well in those games. They have players who are developing. When next season comes along, they're going to have a number of players who, well, we hadn't expected them to play nearly as often or nearly as well in 2021 as they did. And we look forward to seeing how they will do in 2022 because they did a whole lot better in 2021 than expected. So it's reasonable to hope that possibly they'll do well in 2022. Cubs fans have hitched their wagons to one of four players or two of four players or three of four players or four of four players. Cubs fans have hitched their wagons actively to this player or that player, which is fine. I'm completely good with someone wearing a Chris Bryant jersey or an Anthony Rizzo jersey to a Cubs game in 15 years 
and Cubs fans looking at those jerseys and say, yeah, that guy did a whole lot of good things for our team. That guy was fantastic back then. For a team to be long-term viable, it's not going to be everything is going to rely upon these four players. It doesn't work that way. There are a number of things that have gone wrong with all of the Cubs' core, as it were. Every single one of them, a number of things have gone wrong. And as far as whether they should be around on into the future, it would be nice. But it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Jed Hoyer is going to be given a number. And for the Cubs to be viable on into the future, the Cubs have to outdevelop, outdraft, outwork teams like Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, St. Louis, and Milwaukee. How good is Milwaukee going to be in three years? Why is Milwaukee going to be that good in three years? Ask the same question about Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and St. Louis. How good are they going to be in three years? And why are they going to be that good in three years? With St. Louis, it's not going to be because of... Paul Goldschmidt, or Nolan Arenado. That's not going to be why they're good. That's not going to be why they're good. They're going to be good or not so good in three years based on how well did Jack Flaherty develop? How well did Mason win Develop? How well did Jordan Walker develop? How well did Matthew Libertor develop? I know some of those names don't matter to you yet. They're very unfamiliar. They're minor leaguers. But that's how teams stay viable. If Matthew Libertor is an absolute stone-cold stud at the major league level in three years. That's going to help the Cardinals. If Mason win, Jordan Walker, who'd they draft this year? Boy, I just... Um, did they get Michael McGreevy? Cardinals get Michael McGreevy? They got uh, Jose Baez, I think. Jose Baez is very, very similar to a Baez with the Cubs. I don't know if he will develop, develop, or he might not even be ready in three years. But um, three years, it will depend on how well players develop in all organizations. 
No, no one specific player will necessarily automatically be a Stone Cold stud. But then that doesn't happen with veterans either. If the Cubs outdevelop the other teams in their division, they'll be fine. If they keep up with other teams in the division, they'll be fine. If they lag other teams in the division, they're screwed for that reason. People don't want to talk about minor league players because they don't know about minor league players. They want to talk about major league players because that's who they're familiar with. And in about five years, when those major league players do become familiar with the fans, then the fans will assess the major league players who are currently minor league players on how well those major league players are doing. But what you ought to be talking about, or at least more considering, is how are the minor league players being developed? Because that's how it, that, that's what's going to determine a lot of stuff. How well will Ed Howard develop? How well will Christian Hernandez develop? We don't know yet, but that's going to be a huge component in long-term success. Geelong has done a fantastic job in the Australian Football League of finding players developing players, getting them to buy into what it is that the team is doing. So when the 32nd guy on the team for the certain season is told, hey, dude, we need you to play. Cool, great, no problem. Let's do this. Let's F and go. If the players who are forced into the lineup do well enough, then the team is in decent shape. If Justin Steele, who numerous people, numerous people in 2019 and 2020 said the Cubs ought to DFA Justin Steele. Why should they DFA Justin Steele? Well, I've never seen him play. Is that a reason to DFA a player? I would think the goal ought to be if a player is going to be good on into the future, then you want to hang on to him. Well, I've never seen him play. I don't know if he's any good. We'll, we'll say that. We'll say that. Decisions on who should be DFA. Decisions on who should be selected in a draft. Decisions on who should be claimed off of the DFA wire. Those are essential questions. Those are essential things to contemplate and people don't necessarily buy into that. One guy that I keep waiting for something to happen, I think he'll probably tr be traded on Sunday. I think he kind of has to be traded on Sunday. Ryan Allgaier. Ryan Allgaier, I've had a podcast on him before, but I'll mention him again here. Left-handed pitcher from Iowa, as in he was a Hawkeye, pitched once or twice for Toronto this season. He has all his option seasons remaining. Left-handed pitcher, has some level of upside, 
possibly could be a starter type on Into the Future. He seems like a player that someone ought to prioritize, despite the fact that Toronto designated him for assignment. So, Tim, does that mean you are guaranteeing me that Ryan Allgaier will be successful as a man? No, of course not. I'm not guaranteeing squat. I am saying, though, that Ryan Allgaier seems like a reasonable gamble for a 40-man roster spot. The Cubs have recently given a 40-man roster spot to Frank Schwindel. Schwindel this week debuted with the I-Cubs, and in his first five games, he's driven in six runs. Now, does that mean he should be on the Major League Club now? No. He is a slightly less than average defender at first base. He has power. He is a reasonably good AAA hitter with a lot of power at that level. How that transfers to the major league level, I have no idea. The Cubs recently added uh, off of the DFA wire Janeshwi Fargus, a solid base runner, a solid defender, a little bit of center field, a little bit of right field, a little bit of left field. And he played at five levels in the Mets system this year. No more than eight games at any of those levels. And yes, it does make sense, but you have to understand why. But I'm not going to go into that. If the Cubs are trading in July. If the Cubs are trading in July. Because Tom Ricketts is giving Jed Hoyer a spending limit in 2022. I'm going to repeat that again because there is no more important concept in Cubs baseball for this month. If Jed Hoyer is being given a small number by Tom Ricketts for 2022, That's reality. That's reality. Now, you can piss and moan and spleen and whine and complain and say, this is a big market. The Cubs ought to be spam, Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And no, Tom Ricketts is not going to sell the team. And if Tom Ricketts was going to sell the team, the other 29 owners would not vote in someone to buy the team if they were going to spend willy-nilly like fans want to happen. That doesn't happen. Spending payroll will be based on attendance. So the zero games a year that I attend... I'm not helping spending at all because I'm not going to any Cubs games. Zero, nada. Oh, but you do a pot. No, 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 no. All that matters for spending year to year is tickets. Tickets sold. Tickets sold. 
Should Tom Ricketts spend more? Maybe, yeah. But he's, he, he's going to give Jed Hoyer a number. Very rarely do I have very rarely do I have anyone respond what that number would be, or should be, or ought to be, or will be, or why that number should be determined to be a certain thing. I think it'll be about 115 million. What with COVID stuff still possible. Tom Ricketts doesn't want to lose money. There's a lot of other owners who are in a similar boat. They look at the delta variation. They don't want to lose money. Teams are more, owners are more about wealth retention than prioritizing winning baseball games. Fans are completely into prioritizing winning baseball games. Ownership is more about, I don't want to lose money. I don't want to lose money. So, when it comes to reality, when it comes to what are things the Cubs can do to make themselves better for the future, look to the smaller things Look to the things that are like behind the curtain. How can the Cubs acquire talent on the cheap that could possibly be beneficial long-term? How can they find the next Patrick Wisdom? That's fantastic for the Cubs. The Cubs paid absolute jack-nothing to get um, Patrick Wisdom and he's been fantastic this year. Next year, they don't have to pay him $14 million or $9 million. The way the baseball finances are set up, next year, Patrick Wisdom makes about league minimum. That's it. How can the Cubs find players who are going to be very successful while making about league minimum. Nico Horner has been relatively useful. Next year, he should be making about league minimum and probably doing quite well. Those are the types of players that a team has to find to be long-term competitive. Guys who are going to do well while making about league minimum. Jordan Wicks was the Cubs' top pick in July. If he does well for the first three or four years of his contract with the Cubs at the major league level, he will be making about league minimum. If a team has enough players who are making about league minimum that are doing well, that are all-stars or virtual all-stars or getting toward being all-stars, if you have enough of those types of players, then the veteran free agents will want to come play with your team. Why? Because you have a compelling future. Players want to be in situations where they'll be able to play, or they'll be able to play in October, 
and where they'll be able to play for a ring and play for having a parade. That happens when the team does well long-term. Cubs fans hitch their wagons to Chris Bryant and Wilson Contreras and Anthony Rizzo. And that worked well for a while. It's kind of falling apart. It's kind of coming unglued. And it's perfectly legitimate to say, I'm going to miss, insert player here, when they're gone. That is perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine to say, I wish the finances were such that the Cubs could bring back all four of them. That's absolutely perfectly fine. But Cubs fans, by and large, not every single one of them, but by and large, Cubs fans for the past umpteen years have completely missed on how important it is to have homegrown talent oozing through the system and having really good players at the major league level making league minimum. Cubs fans aren't familiar with that concept. They finally saw that concept in play in 2015 and 2016. And I guess understandably, I guess understandably, instead of glomming onto the concept of Wow, this is fantastic having three and four and possibly five players who are all-star good, who are making about league minimum. Instead of glomming onto that, it's really good having a whole lot of really good young players. Let's keep repeating that. Instead of glomming onto that, which is what Braves fans have done, which is what Yankees fans have taken to, which is what Red Sox fans have taken to. If you have really good, really young players merged in with really good, really young players who are about 28, 29, merged in with really good players who are 32 and 34, merged in with a couple of guys who are maybe 35 and 36. If you can have the entire team merge together, and instead of just having a good 20-man roster, or a good 22-man roster, or even a 25-man roster that's good, having an entire 32, 34, 36 player, I don't even know what you want to call it. But Cubs fans have largely missed the concept of, I'm going to say it in a sentence. It's entirely proper for a baseball team, for a major league baseball organization, to have a player who's really really good 
and the team says, yeah, this guy's really good. This guy is amazingly good. And we're going to leave him parked in AAA. Because that's how you have long-term viability in baseball. Cubs fans don't know that yet, many of them. Cubs fans, many of them, if a guy is doing well at AA, you call him up to AAA. If he's doing well at AAA, you call him up in the major leagues. That makes sense, that makes sense, that makes sense. But sometimes, if you're in, if your organization is proper, the Cubs aren't there yet. The Cubs aren't there yet, because, and that's why they're trading in July. The Cubs aren't to the point where you can have a totally valid player who's shredding AAA, shredding AAA, pitcher, hitter, reliever, fast guy, power hitter, catcher, whatever it is. He's absolutely shredding at AAA. Nah, leave him there. Let him keep shredding. Let him keep shredding. Either because we took a look at him. He did okay, but we sent him back. And we have a full roster at the major league level. He needs to play every day. He needs to play every day. Let's leave him in AAA. Or theoretically, possibly in double A or high A, wherever it is that he's doing well. Because we have so damn much talent, we don't need him right now. When you're to that point, then you are doing fantastically well. There's one other option. Brennan Davis is doing quite well at double A. Quite a few fans are, call them up now, call them up now, call them up now. They're exactly the same fans. So you're saying, why the heck did you call him up if he strikes out three times in a game? The goal with players is to properly develop them. Properly develop them. And with Brennan Davis, there is no reason. There's no reason for Brennan Davis get called up to the major leagues. If the Cubs were to call up Brennan Davis to the major leagues right now or second week of August, that would be a big mistake. There's no reason for Brennan Davis to be in the major leagues now. Double-A pitchers are embarrassing him on good curveballs, on good sliders, which is totally fine because he's at the age where he should be being embarrassed by double-A AA and triple-A double-A pitchers on their good breaking balls. He'll hit some home runs and he'll strike out a lot. It's the way it's going to be for a while. And expecting anything even remotely different from that is not getting how baseball works. What Cubs fans haven't seen ever is a fully functional organization that they're following that displays on a daily basis, nah, you aren't ready to get called up to the big league level 
and contribute every day. You're not ready to do that yet. So you're not gonna. Cubs haven't seen that yet. If the Cubs get to that point where they can have a perfectly good... Let, let, let's say that there's an outfielder or an infielder, whatever, you know, whoever it is. 1150 OPS and AAA. Call them up, call them up, call Why? If the Cubs have a properly functioning organization, all or most of the problems ought to be internally solved. All or most of the problems ought to be internally solved. And if they have to go out and make a free agent acquisition, then they do it. But it shouldn't be primarily on free agent acquisitions. It should be, we drafted this guy, we developed this guy, three or four years later, he was useful. Or, we drafted this guy four years ago, we developed him, he was doing really well as a development piece, but we decided there were enough flaws in his game that he would be best used as a trade piece. And the other teams were fascinated by him and were ecstatic to get him in trade. And since we traded them that piece, we had somebody who we could add from their squad who's going to be helping us for two or three years. If the Cubs are making steps to get to that point, Dominate development. Dominate the draft. Dominate international signings. Get guys that are useful through the DFA wire. Getting guys who are useful on minor league deals. If you want to... If you want to contribute to adding something to the discussion topic on the Cubs, discuss things that other people aren't discussing. Talk about things other people aren't saying. Don't tell me what I can already read in the paper. Well, you know, Andrew Chafin had a bad outing. Yeah, I know that. I know that. This is not news. This is not news. If you want to add to the discussion, talk about things that other people aren't talking about. Who's the next DFA wire guy to get? Who's a guy that another team might be interested in non-tendering in the off-season that might make sense with the Cubs? Why? Why him? Is there a guy that makes sense to claim off the DFA wire that maybe the Cubs can run through waivers at some point and have in the organization but not on the 40-man roster? Why that guy? For the Cubs to be long-term viable. For the Cubs to be long-term viable, 
they have to figure out the player development thing. With Theo Epstein, what they did was they valued the draft finally. They finally valued the draft. Did they do ideally well at it? No. Are they doing better at it now than they did six or eight years ago? I think so. Are they doing better than they did with it in the late 90s or the early 2000s? I definitely think so. But so so is everybody else, because everybody else is seeing, oh, I see how you do this. So now everybody else has ramped up their game. Everybody else is doing things that nobody was doing back in 1998 regarding player development. It's entirely different now. Everybody is competent. Are the Cubs better than other teams? I don't know. We'll see. If the Cubs are better at creating a long-term plan for developing players, they'll be fine. Geelong has done that. They find players that more often than not, as per league average, more often than not, these guys help their organization long-term. They help their organization long-term. Are the Cubs doing that? Jordan Wicks, James. I remembered what his name was two minutes ago. I remembered what his name was two minutes ago, and the name just ran sprinting out of my mind as I started to say the sentence. James Triantos. How's he going to do? Is he the right guy? Cubs sure paid a lot for him. Um, they like him. Somebody was telling me their area scout was absolutely gaga over James Triantos. We will see. We will see if he ends up being a contributing major leaguer. That was a very good selection. They spent a whole lot of their draft budget on him. I hope it works. But um, if the Cubs have the rubric, they have some sort of way to get better player development than other teams do, they'll be fine. If they don't, they're in trouble. It's not about... Are the Cubs going to re-sign Anthony Rizzo? It's not about, are the Cubs going to re-sign Chris Bryant? It's not about those. Jed Hoyer is giving, is getting a budget number from Tom Ricketts. He's going to have a certain specific amount of money that he can possibly spend. What are the appropriate guys to get based on that number that we don't know? That we don't know. I don't think with the number as small as it's probably going to be, they're giving Javier Baez six years guaranteed or Chris Bryant eight years guaranteed. I don't think that's particularly likely. And if they're leaving anyway, it's July. This is the time that trades happen. 
And it's going to hurt when they go. But to be like Geelong, to be a team that is making the postseason in like 12 out of 15 years, it's not about Chris Bryant. It's not about arguing whether Chris Bryant is the better Cub or Javier Baez is the better Cub. That is not the argument. The argument is, what are the things the Cubs can best do to get Jordan Wicks to be a productive major league pitcher? Walk me through that like I'm five years old. Who are the guys on the DFA wire that make sense? Tell me why those guys are the answer. Among my favorite DFA wire ads over the past number of years, Kirby Yates. Kirby Yates was designated for assignment by Crikey. I don't even know who it was. Designated for assignment. The Padres claimed him. Periodically, I go back to that MLB Trade Rumors article because I think it's kind of funny. Kirby Yates, who would become a fantastic reliever for the San Diego Padres when he was claimed off the DFA wire on MLB Trade Rumors, which is the source for that kind of stuff. There were like five comments. Nobody was saying, oh my God, we got Kirby Yates? What a steal. Nobody had any idea. Nobody had any idea. For the Cubs to become long-term viable, they need to do the basics. Jordan Wicks, James Triantos, Ed Howard, Christian Hernandez, the basics. Those are the guys that are supposed to eventually do things. For the Cubs to be viable, not only do they have to hit at the top like Wicks and Triantos and Ed Howard and Christian Hernandez, two of four of that, two of four of those being really good players, they'd be well on their way. If they can make it three, all the better. But beyond the guys at the top, I look at the list. I don't even remember what Gray's first name is, left-handed pitcher. Um, Christian Franklin, Liam Spence, Parker Shavers, Peter Matt, Casey Opitz. If some of those guys are useful, if Casey Opitz ends up being a backup catcher for the parent club off of his what, $90,000 signing bonus? That would be a useful thing. Then you drop down to the bottom portion of the draft. Elian Rodriguez, Frankie Scalzo Jr., B.J. Murray. Get some payout out of the bottom portion. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't. But for the Cubs to be long-term viable... It's not going to be solely on the backs of players who are over 30. And those are the players you know. Those are the players you know. For the Cubs to be long-term viable, the other players have to cash.
at least to some extent. It's not going to be all of them. And if the Cubs make some more trades in July, let's say they trade five more players. And in return, they get seven more prospects. Trade five, get seven. Some people will say the Cubs have to hit on all of them or it was a horrible trade. Nah. Don't have to hit on all of them. For Geelong, some of the guys they bring in, we need you to be the guy today. You're the 32nd guy in our organization, but we have two guys that are suspended, and five guys that are hurt, and one guy that... He's just not playing this week because, well, there's that thing going on, whatever it is. We need you to go out there and play. And they send the guy out, and really, he's not all that good. He doesn't do all that well. And over the next, you know, four or five weeks or a year and a half, he doesn't get any better. You can overcome players, specific players, not developing to a peak that will help the major league organization. You can overcome that. But some players have to hit. Some players have to strike. Some players have to work. And the more of the prospects that cash, the more of the prospects that get you to go to the ticket window where you cash in your winning wager and get paid, the more prospects that do that, the more DFA wire players that do that, the more free agent signings that do that, the better. And as July floats on toward the 30th, if there's a player that's leaving anyway, and the Cubs can get back a 35-plus prospect in exchange for him, do it. Will that 35-plus prospect necessarily cash? Will he necessarily take you to the redemption window? No, of course not. Very few will. Very few will. But if a player's leaving anyway, if a player's leaving anyway, he's not going to be of any value whatsoever in 2022 or beyond. If the Cubs want to sign, re-sign, bring back Jack Peterson or Andrew Chafin or whoever next year, that's fine. Do it. But the important thing for long-term viability is to figure out the player development thing. Figure out the player development thing, the veteran re-signing thing, That's not going to be it. That's not going to be it. In two or three years, maybe next year, Patrick Wisdom will be the Cubs' third baseman. But in the future, players being developed in the pipeline, if they step up and are productive, the Cubs will be fine. If they don't step up to be productive, the Cubs will be screwed 
and for that reason. The Geelong Cats are now in second place of 1822. I still can't remember how many teams are in the league anymore. They're in wonderful postseason shape, particularly if they can stay healthy the next three or four weeks, to be that team long-term. Develop internally, answer as many questions internally as possible, because relying heavily upon free agency does not always get it done. If most of the problems are fixed internally with cost-controlled players that are quite good, free agency becomes less of a concern. Free agency becomes less of a pacifier. Develop internally or watch other teams who do win in October. That's how it works. It's how it works in the Australian League. It's how it works in Major League Baseball. <coughs> Develop or lose because of that. Thanks for stopping by. Sorry I ran so long. Um, be safe. Be nice to others. And have a great day.